Joshua chapter 5. And if you want to take out your Bibles as I read, go ahead. Joshua chapter 5, the people of Israel on the verge of entering into their promised land. They have not fought a single battle in the land yet. They have simply crossed the Jordan, celebrated the Passover, and circumcised all their males. And the scripture says that in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals from off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one of them straight before him. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you to hear from you. And in this moment, I pray a sweet spirit of surrender falls over the people, over myself, over the people who aren't yet here. I pray that we hear your voice and listen to your word and have hearts to receive your spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into this place. Fill every heart. Change every mind. Open every eye to see Jesus. In his name we pray. Everybody said, I've titled this message, The Man in the Middle. The man in the middle, the God who goes between. And, and here's the theme of the message. Here's the theme of the message. Until you meet with the Lord, surrender to him and hear him, you will never know how to righteously relate to those on the other side. Until you meet with the Lord, surrender to Him, and hear Him, you will never know how to righteously relate to the other side. And so I want to say something very clearly today. I am not here to tell you what side I'm on. I'm here to introduce you to Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Soft spiritual music got me started. Thank you so much.
So it's uh, polarizing times, it's dividing times. Um, how many divisions can we come up with? Are you pro-abortion or are you pro-life? Are you pro-gay marriage or are you anti-gay marriage? Are you a climate change denier or are you a climate change champion? Are you pro-shutdown or are you anti-shutdown? Are you for the police or Black Lives Matter? Are you a proud American or ashamed of her history? Do you believe government is the solution or the private sector is the solution? And Lord, help us. Are you for blacks or for whites? The sides are endless. The divisions seem to multiply. They're having babies. <laughs> and uh, it's hard to navigate these waters today. And people wonder, what does this church stand for? What do I stand for? And I, I wrote a blog. I don't know if you even read my blog. No, no, don't clap. Because that's something going to be like, so he's picking a side. <laughs> I wrote a blog, and then people misunderstood or mistake, mistook the blog for something that I'm not. And here's what the blog basically was. Truth. And truth that matters in an age where truth is cast into the streets. And people commented, and some people hated, and then people categorized me. The very thing that they were saying I was doing, they did to me. That was interesting. I was called racist. Me. I was called racist. I've never been called racist in my life. I had a church, an Episcopalian church, two towns over. Get on Facebook and tell their people that this church is a racist church. And I thought, well, you know, to be honest with you, they are Episcopalians and they haven't read the Bible since 1943. So, <laughs> take that for what it's worth. But it's amazing how people are just dying to identify someone as something right now. This is called division. This is called the devil's plan. He's the one who divides. He's the one who subverts authority. He's the one who cosmically subverted God's authority in heaven before any of us got here, led a third of the angels to this earth, and we are on his territory. We are in enemy territory. And when you hear people voicing for division, understand that they are not voicing the word of the Lord, but they are voicing the voice of their father, the devil, who has been a deceiver from the beginning. He's a liar. And he wants to divide you from family. He wants to divide you from your parents. He wants to divide you from your brother. He wants to divide us according to the amount of melanin in our skin. There's really no difference between a black person and a white person. You understand that? We are not races. We are one race. This one race. The black, my, my black brothers and sisters, your ancestors did not flop onto the ground as a fish, turn into a frog, and then become black while my white ancestors flopped onto the ground in another place and became turtles and then became monkeys and then became white. 
This is a lie. This is, again, what institutions of higher learning are telling you. The scripture says in Romans chapter 1 that in their thinking, they became fools. Why? Because they refused to worship God and instead worship creation. And because they worship creation, they became like creation. And now we're telling ourselves that we're no different than creation. When the scripture says that we are made in the image of God, white people, black people, brown people. I used to sing a song that used to go red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. Why are we not singing that song today? More than ever before. Your side, my side, their side, his side. What on earth is happening? And it's time for the church to speak truth even when people don't want to hear it. Black people, of course, I think you matter 150%. But please understand that the cause of civil rights in this country has been confiscated by a subculture that wants to redefine the family, redefine gender, Confuse your children more than they already are confused. You understand that this world is under the power of an evil one. And the, and the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come out with horns and a tail. He's deceptive. I, uh, young people especially. I, I want to say something, but I know you're not going to listen. You're stupid. <laughs> you are. It's okay because stupid can get fixed. No, 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 don't clap for that either. I know you're stupid because I was young and I was stupid. And I'm still stupid in some ways. But I see young people turning on their parents and hurting them. You know, it's amazing. You know that you've fallen for a false gospel when it divides you from your mother and your father. And it divides you from your brother or your sister, no matter their color. There's only one gospel that's supposed to divide. And it does divide. It does. Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Jesus said that. I'm going to make a man's enemies the members of his own household. Because the allegiance that a Christian has to Jesus is going to be the highest allegiance of their life. And they're not going to play games just to be friends with people, just to keep the peace with people because they know that their soul is at stake. And they also know that once God grips your heart, he never lets go and you can't escape him. You can't. It changes you forever. In today's world, what do we see in this country is people aligning according to their own gospels.
the gospel of social justice, the gospel of law and order, the gospel of pick your side. And we as Christians are to be people of this gospel. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone's messed up. Everyone needs Jesus. Period. So the question that I have for us today is how do we get from here to there? How how do we get, no, 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 let me start over here. How do we get from here to there? Because we we all want to get there. We all want to get there. Where's there? It's better than here. That's why we want to leave there to go here. Right? And and I hope that there's people in this room who disagree with what my there is. I do. I hope that there is. I hope there's people who think that my there is their there. And some of you who say, well, I'm not 100% on your there side, but I could come there if you help me get there the way you're going to get there. Confused yet? (laughs) Joshua was here. He was on the side of the Jordan that was going to lead them into battle with the people of the land, the promised land people. He was about to become God's instrument. Somebody say God's instrument. He was about to become God's instrument of judgment for the nations of Canaan. 400 years ago, before Joshua got here, Over here in the land of Canaan, there was a guy named Abraham to whom God said, walk the land because every place you set your foot, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants forever. And so he did. And then he said, okay, God, when? And he said, not for a while. In fact, your people are going to go down to Egypt and for four generations, they're going to live there before they get here. And There's this phrase, there's this incredible passage where God tells Abram why. He's not going to give him the land yet. He says, because the sin of this nation has not yet reached its fullest capacity. For 400 years, Abram's children are going to be enslaved. They're going to be in Egypt. They're going to be waiting. They're going to be multiplying like crazy. They're going to be growing. They're going to, they're going to be set up for success. And God's going to bless them with the gold of the Egyptians on the way out. And then through mighty signs and mighty miracles, he's going to lead them out. And then he's going to provide for them in the wilderness. We just talked about that, didn't we? We just talked about that in our last series. And then he's going to mightily deliver the land of Canaan into their hands. But they're going to have to wait with God. What was God doing? What was God doing about those people, those Canaanites over here that God was going to use Joshua to judge? What was he doing? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was waiting for them to repent. He was waiting for them to turn to him for 400 years. And they didn't. Here's the thing about the people over there on the other side. Here's the the thing about the people on the other side of whatever issue you're on. God loves them and wants them to know him. And he is exceedingly patient with them. He's exceedingly patient. He, 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 he wants all men to be saved. And Joshua has to have an experience before he moves from here to there. And in between here and 
there, Jericho, there's a man in the middle. The man shows up out of nowhere. And it's kind of a funny story. Because the story starts with, and Joshua was looking at Jericho. And suddenly a man shows up. And the man has a sword in his hand. And Joshua says, are you for us or them? And the man says, what? No. <laughs> I love this story because it, it's one of the stories that proves that the Bible was not written by men, but by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through men. Because if I was a Jew writing about my, con my nation's conquest of that foreign land, I would write it like this. And then Joshua met God on the way. And God said, hallelujah. I'm so glad to see you. Come on, my brother, let's go. I'm on your side. Let's do this. Rock and roll, lock and load. But God says, no. What side are you on, God? No. Wrong question? No, it's a perfectly fine question. Go ahead and ask him. He'll say, no. Who are you for, God? No. He's not subjected to our petty differences, our whims, our stories, our ideas, or our philosophies. He's overall. And he's looking at the world right now. And the world, which is clamoring to say, what side are you on? God's saying, no. Does that upset you? You might need to meet him. Because he might need to do something in you. So that you can relate to them. The way you need to relate to them. Before Joshua, I hope you get the picture now. Before Joshua starts doing what God wants him to do as God's instrument. Say God's instrument. Okay, that, that's a very important term is why I keep saying for you to say it. Joshua is God's instrument. God is not Joshua's instrument. Do we hear that, America? Do we hear that, white people, black people? Do we hear that, people who love justice and people who love law and order? Do we hear that God is not your instrument? God, you are God's instrument. You are his tool. You are his tool in his hand to do what he wants with his world. Whose side are you on, God? No. So in times of great division, three things. God's people, number one, must meet with God as he really is. I learned something from some of the comments on my blog this past week, and I learned something especially from the young people. A lot of you don't know what the gospel is. You, you just don't know. You think the gospel is something that this world will love. But it's just not. Look, people get worried about me saying something that's offensive. If, uh, if you say something about homosexuality, Pastor, people are going to get offended. 
If you say something about the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization, not the mantra, the organization, people are going to get offended. Friends, if you're getting offended by the peripheral stuff, you've never even heard the main thing. The main thing is the most offensive thing that we have to say. Do you understand? The main message of the gospel is offensive because it tells every person that they're evil. (laughs) No, not good people. No, not better than those people. No, not, no, not superior based on race or ethnicity or color or job or socioeconomic status or where I live or how I grew up or whatever family I come from. No, 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 no. There's no such thing. There's no one who does good. There's no one who seeks God. None. All have turned astray. All have done evil. All have walked away from God. There was only one good person and he volunteered to be killed for all of us who are evil people. That's it. One good person. If that doesn't offend you, and you're getting offended by periphery arguments and ideas, I want to really offend you now. I believe in something called total depravity. That means that every human being has been utterly corrupted inside and out in ways that they aren't even fully aware myself included. Total depravity does not mean that you are always going to do the worst thing imaginable. No. It just means that every aspect of your being has been tainted, has been affected by a virus far more deadly than coronavirus. By sin. And that means that how, how you even act good, in your opinion of good, because that opinion of good is tainted by sin. Even how you act good is motivated by sinful motivations. Because most of the time, we're acting good so that other people will think we're good. And so that's not a God-oriented desire. That's a me-oriented desire. And I'm going to champion this cause. Why? Because I want to fit in with these people. Because I want them to think that I'm good. And so the person that I'm trying to fit in with, whatever the cause, whatever the situation, whatever the group, I'm trying to fit in with the group because I want the group to accept me. I need the group to validate me. I need the group to think that I'm a good person. Friends, you're not actually serving God. You're serving the group and yourself because you really don't give a rip about the group. If the group changes its opinion tomorrow, you'll follow the group because you don't care about what the group cares about. You care about what the group thinks of you. Is this too heavy preaching for you? Because usually I hold back from this stuff on Sunday morning because I want to be nice. But today is about time that we just tell people the truth. We're all evil. You need Jesus to cleanse you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet and to work out the salvation seed he planted in you when Jesus went to the cross for you. And that is a process that you will never accomplish until Jesus comes again. He's the one who began the good work in you. He's the one that brings it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We are all in the process of change. We are all in the process of sanctification. And it is his work. And we need to learn how to meet God as he really is. As he really is. 
The scripture says in Joshua 5.13 that when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he saw a man with the sword drawn in his hand. And I asked myself, why would God show up like this to Joshua? That's a threatening position. Let's put it in modern terms. For all of those who think that God is always gentle, always like this soft-spoken, mild-mannered, Clark Kent sort of person. He's got a sword drawn. He's got a sword drawn. Imagine God showing up and he's got an AK-47 pointed at you. (laughs) Why would God show up like this to Joshua? Well, here's why. Because Joshua's a warrior. He's a fighter. And so God assumes a picture that Joshua would be able to resonate with. I knew God was like me. I knew it. God is like me. And so he then asks him, so are you for me? Or are you for them? And God says, no. Verse 14. No. (laughs) So he shows up as if he looks like Joshua. And then he tells Joshua, I'm not on your side. I don't get on other people's side. You need to meet me, Joshua. You need to meet me for who I am. You can't assume that I am what you think I am. I can't assume that God is like me. Um, For, what, four centuries? Jesus has been white. He, He has been. Look at the art. He's white. He looks very Swedish, actually. He looks like he could be a member of REO Speedwagon, to be honest with you. I mean, he's... <laughs> and um, there are some cultures, and you can go into in the world, some nations of the world, where Jesus and all the imagery of Jesus is black. What was he? I think one of the smartest things God ever did was have his son show up before anybody got into drawing people. <laughs> Amen. Because that way, none of us get to claim him for what we think he looks like. And that means none of us, and that's like a picture, because that means that none of us get to claim God as if he's on our side. He has this funny way of upending what we think he's like. I just want you to write it down if you're taking notes. Remember that when the Lord seems to be like you, he's not you. We live in a world that talks about my truth, my truth, my story, or these phrases. Well, from my perspective as a blank person, all fine, that's fine, but that's tainted. That's, that's been twisted. That's been manipulated. That's not true. When God seems to be like you, he's not you. He has this funny way of being God. And some might say, well, pastor, where do you stand on this issue? Tell me, tell me where you stand so that I know if I can come to this church or should I look for a new one? Some of you are doing that right now. Well, I don't know if I can come back to this church. He doesn't think like me. What kind of churches are we creating where the pastor needs to accommodate what the people in the pew think? What kind of church is that? Is that a church of truth or popular opinion? 
And here's what I think. Here's what I think. I'm going to tell you something. I've read this book a lot. A lot. And I've realized that the more I read this book, the more my personal imaginations of who God is and what his heart is about are upended and destroyed. This book messes with me. This book messes with me. I, I so badly sometimes want to get up here and just level some people. Some. The people that I believe need to be leveled. But then I read the book. And the book bugs me. And the book says, no. Not on your side. I've read, I've read through this hundreds of times, I'm telling you. And, and through this book, I, I start to learn that the God that I have been saved by is very different than me. He sees the world totally different than me. He sees you differently than I see you. And for some of you, that's really good news because you don't want to know what I think of you. All the young people are like, well, you just called me stupid, so how much worse can it get? The Lord might seem to be in your corner. He's, he's not in your corner. It's not his job to get in your corner. In fact, he's interested in blowing up your corner so that you can get into his corner and do what he wants you to do and be on his side and accomplish his purposes. It really is. So A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, whatever comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, what comes to mind? It's the most important thing about you. I agree with that to some extent, but here's what I also think. I think that God's interested in changing that and, re and redefining that and, and manipulating that and make, not manipulating, making that clearer and better so that you can see the world the way he sees the world. See, the more you read scripture, the harder it gets to pigeonhole God into your corner. It just does. I'll give you an example. Um, this book tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Husbands, you're supposed to sacrificially lay down your life for your wife. That's what you're supposed to do. And then the book tells wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Obey them in everything. <laughs> oh, the room just got tense. <laughs> the room just got tense, and I just told you what the book said. Isn't that interesting? Um, and here's what we do in marriages. We do this. The husband feels that it is his obligation to relay to the wife what her job is, according to the book. And the wife feels that it is her job to relay the information to the husband what his job is. Isn't that funny? We take the book and we bring it to our corner to try to bash the other side and, and, and pretend like God is on our side. When the scripture about wives submitting, gentlemen, is written to wives, 
And the scripture about husbands loving their wives and laying down their life for them is written to husbands. And then there's this portion about children. Honor your parents. Submit to them. Obey them. They know stuff. But not only have they known stuff, God has given them to you and has established order and decency in the home. And it is not the school's job to train your children in the ways of the Lord. That's dad's job. That's dad's job to instruct his children in the ways of the Lord and to discipline his children in the ways of the Lord and not ask permission from the children if he can discipline them and not try to be their friend or their buddy or their confidant. It's the book. It's the book. It's not me. This, then it says, in Job chapter 12, verse 12, it says that wisdom is with the aged. Older people have wisdom, generally speaking. Gray hair is a crown of life, the scripture says. How many of you, that's your life verse now. You don't have to raise your hand, I can see your head. But then the scripture also says, out of the mouth of babes, thou hast ordained praise. So which side are you on, God? The old people? Are the young people? No. No. He's the God who can take an Abraham and make him strong in the faith later in life. He's the God who can take a Josiah and make him strong in the Lord from eight years old. So let's talk about this. There's how you want to see the world, and then there's how God sees the world. I, I know that there's a way I want to see the world, but there's a way that God sees the world, and it's not my job to get God to see the world the way I see the world. It's, the way that, it's my job to get to see the world the way God sees the world. This is why God sometimes says no to your prayers. Even those ones that you prayed with tears running down your face and you wondered why would God ever allow that to happen because he sees the world differently than you. So he is the God who seeks justice. Absolutely. I, you don't know the Lord if you don't seek justice. Honestly, you don't. Micah chapter 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do what? To do what? No, no, come and say it like you mean it. To do what? Justice. And to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The word justice appears in the Old Testament 124 times. That's a lot. Jesus shows up on the scene and he, ridic he, he, he rips apart the religious people. The people who went to church, the people who tithed, the people who sat in the pews and listened and said amen, those are the people most often that Jesus tore into. Do you, do you know what he said? 
He said in Matthew chapter 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier, weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Religion that doesn't care about justice is divorced from Jesus. White people, the world is different for you. This country is different for you. I've talked to so many black people these last two weeks, I can tell you, I'm honestly telling you as your pastor, the world is different for you. And you need to admit that. That's a justice issue. And you need to seek God's heart in this matter and not the channel from which you always get your news. You, you have to see it God's way, not man's way. Please be careful that you don't, that you don't ignore Jesus in favor of your preferred news source. How many hours do you spend listening to the news source as opposed to how many hours do you listen to God's word? That's going to upset some people. That's going to upend some schedules. Justice is a non-negotiable in the gospel. Absolutely. Isaiah, out of all the Old Testament writers, talks about justice more than anybody. 29 times he mentions it, and theologians call Isaiah the fifth gospel because it talks about the virgin birth of Jesus, where he was going to be born, who he's going to be born to. It talks about, describes the death of Jesus in accurate detail. To this day, if you read Isaiah 53 to a Jewish person and they don't know the Bible enough, they'll think you're reading from the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Because that's how accurate Isaiah is about the coming of Jesus. And it was written 800 years before Jesus showed up. And in case you think that they wrote it after Jesus showed up to make sure that it looked like they were talking about Jesus, they found Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 in a Bedouin uh, cave, uh, and they found and they dated the, 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 gospel, the, 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 the writings of Isaiah to 100 years before Jesus showed up. Proof positive that Isaiah wrote about Jesus well in advance of Jesus actually showing up, and he nailed it. How? The Holy Spirit showed him who he was. But what was Isaiah consumed with? Justice. And he says in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 4, he says, He, the Lord's servant, that's Jesus, will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established what? Justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And in Isaiah 51, verse 4, he says it again. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my what? Justice for a light for the people. not be concerned about justice is to not know Jesus. And to not care when you hear your black brothers and sisters cry is not knowing Jesus. Mourn with those who mourn. And I have been mourning for two weeks because I don't know how it feels to be pulled over and to feel threatened because of the color of my skin. I know how it feels to be pulled over and call someone that I know who can get me out of it real quickly. 
<laughs> I do. And I like it. God is the God of justice. And I'll fight for justice. Tell me where, tell me when. But don't ask me to break the law. Because he's also the God of law and order. I tell you, you know, young people, this is why I tell you you're stupid. Your hashtags are really stupid. Defund the police. Are you stupid? Now, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm right in the happy medium between the millennials and the boomers who hate each other. So let me be the bridge. Let me be the man in the middle for a moment. I know, young people, what you mean by hashtag defund the police. I've read it. I've scrolled down the hashtag. I know what you mean. Take the money and put it here and didn't do this and then also start working with police and the relationships of police that that they have with their communities and all that kind of stuff and make sure let's get this harmony going again because we've lost it somewhere and I get it. I understand that there are bloated budgets in government. You want to talk to somebody about government having too much money? I'm your man. (laughs) I'm here for you. Let's defund all of it. No, sorry, I just got into the flesh for a minute. (laughs) But when you say defund the police, don't you understand nobody's going to listen to you except your friends? Except people who don't have the capacity to think that it might actually mean something other than what it actually means? And ACAB? Don't be stupid. Don't, Don't say things that hurt people in response to being hurt by people. The Bible tells me, do not repay evil for evil. Young Christians, I'm not talking to secular people. I get it, secular people, they're going to do that. They're going to quote Martin Luther King Jr. when he says, hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. They're going to quote him, and then they're going to do the opposite. But we're the people of the book. And so the God of justice is also a God of law and order. And he has established the state. It's his idea. It's not my idea. I wouldn't come up with it. He came up with it. And so Romans chapter 13, it says, let every person, let every person, somebody say every person. person. That every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. That means presidents. That means governors. Legislatures, selectmen, school administrators, police officers. These things, these people, they're in place by God. That's his idea. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to do good conduct but to do bad. I'm sorry, to good, to, to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And if you're getting tensed up by that passage, just remember I read from the book. It's there. It's not here. It's there. The right of peaceful protest is a gift 
to our country from America's Constitution. It's wonderful. But please understand that that gift is very rare in the world. Most places in this world do not give you a constitutional legal right to peacefully protest and speak against your government and its leaders. And there are Christians in those countries right now of all colors who are getting beheaded, sodden tooed, their lives destroyed, their families ripped apart, and they don't have the right to peaceful protest. If they open their mouth, they get shot. That's the world that we live in. That's why all those people want to come into this country. For everybody who hates this country, just remember, this is still the landing place for most people who want to get out of their country. And there's a reason for that. Because of law and order, because of civility, because we believe that government can sometimes get corrupt and checks and balances are a necessary balance for our world. The founders put that in place because they knew that man's heart was totally depraved. And giving somebody absolute authority over any group of people was probably not a good idea because people tend to be evil. So you need people to check people. And laws need to keep them all in check. And these are what our founders put in place so that we could do these things and challenge the establishments that we have in place. But to do so with respect and understand that while we wait for justice, we put our hope in Jesus. Because when Paul suffered unjustly several times in several cities while he was doing God's will, he never retaliated. He never acted out. He never tore anybody's business down. He never did any of that. You know what he did? He put his trust in Jesus. He put his trust in the life to come, not the life now. And if there's something this, that the church has got to get its prophetic voice back, it's got to get its prophetic voice back, and it's got to remind the church that this world is not our home. This is not our final resting ground. We die here. We live forever in the life to come. My hope's not for here. My hope's for there. And while you wait for justice, you got to put your hope in Jesus. Just like our brothers and sisters around the world are doing right now where they don't have the right to peacefully protest. Where they're going to lose their heads and close their eyes in this life and wake up and open their eyes to the embrace of Jesus Christ personally. The commander said to Joshua, I am the commander of the army of the Lord, verse 14. Now I have come. In times of great division, number two, God's people must surrender to God as he really is. Surrender. That's what God wants all of us to do right now. Surrender to him as he really is. Surrender your idea of what he is. Surrender your idea of what your group wants. Surrender your idea of what other people think you should be. Surrender all that. And here's what it says in, 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 in verse 14. Such a beautiful picture of what it means to meet the man in the middle. It says, I, uh, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, look at this phrase. What does my Lord say to his servant? I want to know what you say, God. Fall on your face. Three responses of surrender. Number one, Joshua falls down before him. That's, to, that's a symbol of giving up. I give up what I think is right. 
And then it says in verse two, uh, 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 the second thing that Joshua does to surrender, he worships him. Now this is an important qualification for us to hear from God. Do you understand that we lead off the service with singing and worship for a reason? Because I believe that when you worship, you open your heart to hear from God. Why? Because you're telling God, I honor you, I love you, I open my heart and my mind to you, and what you have to say, I want to receive. And so I give up my own authority, I give up my autonomy, I give up my opinions, and I just worship you. You are my highest value. Speak to me. I mean, you want God to speak to you, but you never sing to him. He's going to speak when you open up your heart and let him know that you love him. Worship always precedes hearing the word for the people of God. And then number three, Joshua listens for him. What is God saying to you in this matter? Who do you need to reach out to? What do you need to do in this moment to be the, God, to, to be the person that God wants you to be now? And, and that might upset people that you love and that you know. And that might mean that you're not going to fit in with some people. That's all right. Best to have the approval of heaven than the celebration of earth. And number three, I thought you guys were probably thinking, man, he's never going to get through this message. Look at how quick number two went. (laughs) Number three, God's people must hear what God will say. You want to know how to get from here to there? You got to meet the man in the middle. You got to surrender to him. You gotta, you gotta bring all your junk, all your baggage, all the stuff that people have front-loaded into your mind of what you think is right, what you think is justice, what you think is law and order, what you think the world needs to do, what you think is wrong with this country. You need to take all that stuff and you need to throw it on the ground before the Lord and say, what does my Lord say to his servant? Because I don't wanna listen to everybody else right now. I wanna listen to you the man in the middle. And you know why you need to know, you know why you need to meet the man in the middle? Because he's got a crazy plan for you. (laughs) Did you see what happened after Joshua surrendered? Did you see what God did? He said, okay, here's the plan now. That's That's chapter six. The chapter division, I hate the chapter division because we separate the meeting with God from the plan that God gives him after Joshua surrenders. I hate that chapter division, Joshua chapter six. So just scratch out the six in your Bible. You have my permission. That's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just scratch out the six because it should just be read right into Because then as soon as Joshua surrenders and realizes that he's God's instrument, God is not his instrument, then God says, here's the plan for taking down Jericho. You're gonna walk around the city. And I just see Joshua being like, and then we're going to take our swords out. No, no, no. The next day, you're going to walk around the city again. And then we take our swords out. Mm-mm. Another time. You're going to do this for seven days. And by the way, the whole time you do it, you're going to shut up. That wouldn't be the plan I would come up with. That wouldn't be what I would tell Joshua. It's what God tells Joshua. And then on the seventh day, you're going you're gonna to go around the city seven times, and then you're going to blow ram's horns. And then we take our swords out? Nope. Then you shout. And uh, then we take our swords out? Nope. Then the walls will fall. And I'm thinking about how many of you 
you think you are so justified with your version of what the world should be that if you don't stop to meet the man in the middle, you'll make a bigger mess out of the world you think is already broken. We need to meet the man in the middle so that he can give us the crazy plan that we would never come up with on our own to do what he wants us to do as his instruments. And I'm telling you something. That's the way we get from here to there. Who is our man in the middle? It's Jesus. He's the man in the middle. And listen, the reason why, and I finish with this, he's the man between you and them. The reason why Jesus is the man between you and them is because um, he was the man between you and God. Are you hearing this? You see, the scripture says in Romans chapter 5 that we were enemies of God. We were enemies. You were messed up. You are evil. You are broken and totally depraved, and you, from top to bottom, were born hostile to God. So was I. And the reason why men hate God is because they are born in sin. The reason why no one is passive toward God is because that sin nature rebels. It was, it's, it's inside of us to rebel against God. We are his enemies by nature. The scripture says children of wrath. That's who we were. But we were reconciled. How? Through the death of his son. And now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, Jesus is the one who came between us and God. God had every right to put us to death, every right to judge us for our sins, every right to cast us into hell. But his son stood up in our place and took our punishment and bore our shame on the cross 2,000 years ago so that we could get what he had before the Father, acceptance and approval and love in him. Jesus is our man in the middle who reconciles us to God so that we can recon be reconciled with each other. The only way you're gonna get from here to there, from your people to their people, from your idea of justice to God's idea of justice, from your idea of who's right to who God says we should love, the only way we're gonna get from here to there is when we surrender to Jesus and let him be the one who takes us in his hand and uses us for his purposes.